So this morning, I'd like to encourage you to bow your heads with me as we ask for the Lord to guide us in this message entitled, The Great Reset. Gracious Father in heaven, these are days that have not caught heaven by surprise. There is no crisis in the kingdom of light. But these are simply movements that have been foretold in the great pages of prophecy. Through the voice of Christ, he said that these are the stages that will be set before the grand stage of victory becomes our experience. So this morning, speak to us and guide our hearts that we may look beyond the here and now to the day when the great reset becomes the joy that we proclaim throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is Isaiah 65 and verse 17. Beautiful passage. It all by itself summarizes where we are to where we are headed. Isaiah the prophet is a book that my wife and I have enjoyed tremendously. And he invites us to pull off of the road of confusion and look at the signposts ahead of us. The word of the Lord says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former, say it with me, shall not be remembered or come to mind. I am looking forward to the day when we don't remember anything about where we've been because we are learning everything about where we are going to be. There are difficulties in this earth that if you put them all together from God's perspective, it could trouble your spirit. It could really cause you consternation. That's beyond confusion. That's that gut anxiety. So we have to pray for God to pull us up from the trenches of war to the place where one day we will sit with him on his throne. These are simply the movements that the Bible have forecasted will come. That's why this quotation is so vitally important to me from the book Education, page 179. I had a chance to revisit it this week. It is so pertinent to where we are now that I decided in just a few moments ago to include this in our message for this morning, it really, really takes our minds and sharpens our lenses, calibrates us to what the scene of the world presently is. Listen to the words of inspiration. The present is a time of overwhelming interest to all living. Isn't that right? I mean, everybody, every class of life, every walk of life, everybody is concerned when you look at the stock market, when you look at what's happening in the financial institutions, for those of us that have a piddling of a retirement and the stock market begins to dive, those are the moments that my wife and I say, well, God will supply all of our need. I don't even put my, my hope in the stock market any longer. Those little things that we put aside for retirement one day may be gone, but God will always be in his place. We are told rulers and statesmen Men who occupy positions of trust and authority, thinking men and women of how many classes? All. All classes have their attention fixed 
upon the events taking place about us. They are watching the strained, restless relations that exist among the nations. They observe the intensity that is taking possession of every earthly element. And they recognize that something great and decisive is about to take place. That the world is on the verge of a stupendous crisis. You ought to pause and look that word up. Stupendous. Stupendous. Unimaginable. Incalculable. Hardly able to be believed. What is ahead of us cannot be put into words. It cannot be described. It cannot be imagined to the point of its reality. The servant of the Lord, Ellen White, said when she saw what awaited the people of God, she wept and she says, no pen can picture what God revealed to her. So if we are, if we are losing our faith in this tentative environment, what are we going to do when the real crisis comes? These are the hours that we must ask God to keep our minds set on what is ahead of us. I have a story to tell you at the end of the sermon that will illustrate how vitally important it is to keep our eyes on the things that God's word has revealed to us. For those of us that know what's coming and understand prophecy, we've got to keep our eyes on the light. Say that with me. Keep our eyes on the light. You'll understand how pertinent that is. But allow me to begin the message with a statement that I believe is shared by Christians and non-Christians alike. The world cannot continue the way it is. Something has to change. But that is not just what is being said by humanity. That has been the plan of divinity for millennia. Somewhere along the way, something's going to change for the better. Somewhere along the way, all the pain and heartache that we have been called to endure will no longer be a part of our experience. Can you say amen to that? Somewhere along the way, the former things will not be remembered and they won't even come to our minds. That's why I look forward to the Great Reset. We have heard that term quite a bit, the Great Reset. Let me give you a little bit of political education before we go into scriptural certainty. It is a phrase that has been born over the last three years, the Great Reset. To be specific, the Great Reset is a term related to the 50th annual meeting held by the World Economic Forum. I'm a member of the World Economic Forum. I follow what is taking place. It will boggle your mind to understand what is taking place as we sit here today. Everything that happens on your cell phone is being monitored by the world. And they are fitting you in the framework of your, of your behavior, your character, your personalities, the things you look at. They're putting that all together in a pool called artificial intelligence to be able to predict how you will react to whatever crisis will be directed or developed by the future world. They are determining whether or not you will be able to be sustained by the great reset that is being orchestrated even as we sit here today. It's not a coincidence. The World Economic Forum, made up of leaders of all nations, our former president uh, and our present president. We have Biden on one side, we have Trump on the other. Both 
are members of the World Economic Forum. When you are president of a nation, that's a default. And all our economic powers are concerned about how the world behaves and how it adjusts to the changing world. Let me give you a little bit more background. In the 1930s, on the heels of coming out of World War II, coming out of the Great Depression, there was a time that you could not get a bank loan, you could not have a credit card, you could not get a mortgage. And so coming out of World War II, the world leaders got together and said, we've got to create a world order that will allow us economically, socially, financially, and religiously to function as a world. So they developed what we now look back as a world order. We're looking forward to a new world order. But they created a world order where banks began to give loans, mortgages were given out, people were able to buy homes, get credit, begin to get jobs. And that was considered the world, the, the, the world that we understand, the world order. But something's happened. That world order was put together when those who are now our allies were our enemies. And so the world has been changing. There's been a paradigm shift in society. The world that was is not the world that is. So economists and politicians and world leaders are saying, wait a minute, Japan and the United States are no longer enemies, so this present framework of how we do business does not fit into the first world order that was established on the heels of the ending of World War II. So we have been trying to fit a new model of life into an old framework. It's like saying, I know that we are up to 5G, but let's still drive a Model T Ford. You get the picture? It doesn't fit. Everything is changing. We've got to change the way we do business. We've got to change the way that we interact between countries. And when you go to the, when you go to the page of the World Economic Forum, you see what's called a, a, an artificial intelligent uh, diagram. The word diagram is a tiny word to simply say. All the information of every nation, everything that happens every day, when you go to Walmart and they say, uh, or Kroger, they say, do you have your Kroger card? Well, they monitor what you buy. And they wonder, will that supplier in that part of the world coalesce to the new world order that we are setting up? And if they do, then that product that you just bought will still be available 30 years from now. But if they decide not to coalesce with the new world order, then you need to buy a different product because that one is being phased out. That's why you go to the store and there are certain things that are not available yet because there's a, there's a hiccup in the trading lines around the world because there is, as we sit here today, there is an adjustment. Everything is being adjusted economically. Some of the small mom-and-pop businesses are disappearing. Some of the medium-level businesses are disappearing because they're trying to centralize our buying, centralize our selling. Not too far distant future, maybe most of the things we buy will be online. It's a part of the new world order. They're trying to minimize cash transactions because you can't trace cash. But you can trace credit card purchases. Then they're trying to change the way that we do business with currencies. There's a talk about Bitcoin and digital currency. 
They, they, could, they could mandate that and control that by simply saying, if you don't comply, then we could just simply cut off your financial pipeline. And so right now we're in this, this development of a great reset. But back in 2020, the word, the great reset, or the phrase, the great reset came into existence. It was a meeting organized by the World Economic Forum under the leadership of Charles, the Prince of Wales. He was the one that organized the meeting. He called the meeting. And he brought together world leaders. The Prince of Wales organized the meeting, called world leaders together. And they said, let's begin to look at the world and begin to see what we have to deal with. And the theme of that meeting was rebuilding society. Another way is build back better. Let's rebuild society. The framework of that was let's rebuild society first on the economic foundation because following COVID-19 pandemic impact, which many of us saw the impact on the world, following the COVID-19 impact on all the markets around the world, it is giving us a chance to reset the way we do business. As one very wealthy uh, economist said, never let a crisis go to waste. They live for crises. When the stock market plunges, the billionaires get hives. They can't wait to invest. They wait for our monies to just bottom out and they buy the stock when it plummets so that when it goes back up on the market that they reset, they can predict their profits. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. It's not coincidental. So another phrase for the Great Reset is build back better. And, and so the world right now is in a paradigm shift. The shift is better known in these three following categories. These are the three main categories that are included in the Great Reset. Now the reason I'm sharing this with you is because later on in the message you're going to see these three categories in a divine setting. Because let me make this point here, and we're going to see it again. Long before economists had plans of making the world better, God already had a plan. So this idea of a reset, men want to make it better for men, God wants to make it better for his children. And as a songwriter says, he's got the whole world in his hands. So leaders come and go. Fear no man because God sets them up and brings them down. He determines the time and space of every leader. Kaiser Wilhelm, uh, uh, Adolf Hitler, all the feared uh, uh, terrorists and, and, and tyrants of the past are nothing but dust in the grave and God is still on his throne. So let's not be worried about all that's happening in society. Let's not fear what's coming up in political circles. All this is just, this is just dust in your eyes. But stay on the path. But these world leaders in the Great Reset broke it down to three categories. One, the first concern they had involves creating conditions that are, that are stable for stockholder economy, for the stockholder economy. Now, what does that mean? That means the ability of a company to serve the interests of its stakeholders, establishing a market where the customer, the supplier, the employees, the stockholders, and the communities are all satisfied with how the business is working. 
The first thing they want to do is establish economic stability so that from the guy who purchases to the guy who creates the product and everybody in between, the employees that work at the plant, the people that invest in that plant, they want to make sure that everybody is happy with the way we're doing business. Everybody profits somehow. Secondly, they said they want to build a more resilient, equitable, and sustainable way of life. So what they're doing is they're strengthening the infrastructure of society so that the world in its growth metric can sustain itself, meaning better airports, newer bridges, better ways of communicating, better pipelines of information, 4G to 5G, better cars, green energy. All these things are part of a more resilient, equitable, and sustainable way of life. They're thinking about all these things. When I read this and I started to educate myself on that, I thought to myself, man, God is way ahead of the curve. Because God is already working on a mansion for us. And there will be an equitable, sustainable way of life that nobody has ever imagined. God is way ahead of that curve. And the third aspect of it was what they call the fourth industrial revolution, which includes green energy, smarter growth, fairer growth, and artificial intelligence. Which simply means a computer is deciding what Curtis is going to do next, based on what Curtis has done up to this point. Let me give you, a, a, let me give you an illustration for those of you that are on Instagram or Facebook or one of these social media platforms. If you lay your phone down for any length of time, Donna, and decide, well, I'm not going to go on Instagram today or Facebook today, somehow in your email, you'll get a notice that will prompt you to click on it, and before you know it, you're back on Facebook. Or you might look up something on the internet, like uh, car tires, and then all of a sudden in your email, you'll get these coupons, 15% off Goodyear tires. And you say, I've never even contacted Goodyear. They're watching you. And they'll send you notices to your, to your page. or they'll, they'll try to say, well, this is what they like to watch on Instagram, so let's start sending notices to them. We don't want to lose them because we want to figure out who they are. They're trying to figure out who we are. That's why we need to know who we are so that they don't know who we are. Let me just add one little more point here. This is not in the sermon, but I want to add this. <laughs> Relax. That's why I, that's why when, please don't make any comments, but I got to say this. Are you ready for it? You don't know if you're ready, but I'm going to say it anyway. That's why <laughs> when folk thought that they had to put a chip in the vaccine to track you, it was so ridiculous because they've been tracking you all your life. There's not somehow they're going to put a digital tracking device in a vaccine so they can figure out what you're doing. <laughs> they already know. They know where you lived, where you live. They know your first, they know your present phone number, the one, the phone number you had before this, the phone number you had before that, the phone number you had before that, the phone number you had before I could find out more information about you than you know about yourself in just a few strokes on the keyboard. So if I could find out stuff about you that I have to pay $5.95 for, what do you think they know about you? 
thinking, oh, now they're going to start tracking us. They've been tracking you before you even knew what your name was. Day you popped out, oh, Tracy Ridnow was born. Let's track her. They know where you are. So don't think that somehow all of a sudden, you know, 2019, they start tracking you. Man, if you think that, you ain't awake. Only, you, want to, you, want to, you don't want to be tracked? Get rid of your cell phone. And get rid of your car. Because if you have a car that's beyond a certain date, it's digitized. They know exactly where you are. So let's not get fearful. Because when the time comes, God knows exactly how to seclude his children from the eyes of prying men that intend to do us harm. Now let's get to the war for a moment. The reason why this war is a destabilizing interruption is because to the great reset, the war creates division at a time where world leaders are seeking unity globally. So this war comes in as a destabilizing interruption because world leaders are wanting, wait a minute, wait a minute, we thought we had Russia where we wanted it to be. Or we thought we had Ukraine where we wanted it to be. But now we're dealing with these destabilizing forces because of the, of the noise of war. And then, then what happens is political leaders are now saying, we want economic, financial, social unity. But what they don't realize, it's deeper than Russia. It's deeper than Ukraine. Because while they're creating these avenues of what they call stability, darker forces are working to create what I call a catastrophic undercurrent. If I make it even clearer, God is working from above. Satan is working from beneath. And we are caught in the middle. Said another way, world leaders are pursuing measures to make the world a more peaceful and productive place amid a satanic sneak attack. Satan's got his plans too. That's why the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 3, these words. These are powerful words for today. For when they say together, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And what does it say? They shall not escape. Nobody alive on this planet when the world starts to fall apart is going to be exempt from what? impacts the world. Everybody is going to be impacted on one level or the other. Today, things are becoming so centralized, so digitized. There's some people that have never seen their insurance company except on their smartphones. There's some people that they, their banks are so far away that they make all their, all their deposits on their smartphone. This is, this is power. Are you ready for it? So all that has to happen to neutralize you is just simply shut off your phone. You can't access your bank. Then prevent you from getting on a plane. You can't go to your bank. We are, we are a hair's breath away. That's why I praise God that his angels are holding back the winds. We're not in this by ourselves. My father's name is Yahweh, Yahshua, the almighty God, the everlasting father, the one who 
predicted what will come. It has come, and he has the last say in how it affects his children. So I'm aware, but I'm not, a, I'm not concerned. That's why the Great Reset is coming, but not what economists suspect. The Great Reset is coming that world leaders can hardly imagine. The Great Reset is coming that will shock the intelligences of humanity. When people that are partying and gambling and pool hustling and living for the world finally get their wake-up call, they are going to be filled with a fear that they have not known. And God and his love for humanity is trying to get humanity's attention. You know, when I talk to my sister and friends that I know that are not Christians, they say, what do you think is happening? I say, here's what's happening. And then I say to my sister, that's why you need to get your carcass back in church. <laughs> how long, I say to my sister, how long is it going to be before you give your life back to the Lord? Because it's not, I said to her, it's not as bad yet as it's going to be. But we should never serve God because of fear. Fear could get you excited. But as I said in one of my prior sermons, it may stimulate you, but it will not commit you. You've got to love the Lord to be committed. The great, the great reset is coming, but the forces of darkness are working behind the scenes in halls of politics, in halls of entertainment, in halls of music, in halls of social media. It's working behind the scenes to bring about something that Russia and Ukraine and the United States and North Korea and China could hardly imagine. Here's how the Bible describes it. Revelation chapter 16, beginning with verse 13. This is a behind the scene. This is the sneak attack from beneath. This is the catastrophic undercurrent. The Bible says, I saw un three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon. Spiritualism. Out of the mouth of the beast. Catholicism. Out of the mouth of the false prophets. For they are the spirits of demons. Of what, friends? This is far deeper than Putin and, and the president of Ukraine. This is deep. Performing signs or miracles which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. There's a war coming. But it's not where we think it's going to be. It's not Russia invading China and China invading Russia and this big old valley of Armageddon where people are fighting in the valley and a, where the blood is up to the horse's bridle. That's, that's symbolic language. The battle described here is going to be a battle between light and darkness, between truth and error, between Christ and Satan. And we are the stakes. God allows these things to come to us so that we can be mindful that what God's word has said will come to pass with blazing accuracy. Look at this quotation from Testimonies for the Church. Testimonies for the Church, volume 8, page 28. And this is so true in context to where we are today. Transgression has almost reached its what? Limit. Confusion fills the world, and a great terror is soon to come upon human beings. 
The end is very near. We who know the truth should be preparing for what is soon to break upon the world as an overwhelming surprise. That's why I want to just say this again. If you're Russian, don't argue with the Ukrainians. If you're Ukrainian, don't argue with the Russians. Get on your knees and put your case before Christ. Especially for those of you that are Seventh-day Adventists. That happened down there in Rwanda when the Hutus and the Tutsis were fighting each other and they were both Seventh-day Adventists. They got distracted by the temporary politics and forgot that they were citizens of an eternal kingdom. It is too late for us to forget that we are citizens of an eternal kingdom. That's why I don't care about this political mumbo-jumbo. It's nothing. It's just what God allows men to, to, in their small ant world, to participate in the small movements of their lives until God re removes his breath and they just turn back to dust. Amen. They're men just like everybody else. That's why this is the hour to calibrate our spiritual compass. This is the hour to check our religious pulse and examine our spiritual dedication. This is the hour where Bible study needs to matter to you. Amen. Where prayer and devotions, this is where husbands need to call their wives together and pray together and worship together and, and pull it together and, and hold it together. This is where the fathers of homes need to lead their children before the altar with their wives on a daily basis. This is where the single young folk need to put down Facebook and pick up the book. And I'll tell you, and the world is busy trying to figure out what you're thirsting for. That's why the Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. What does that mean? If you're hungering and thirsting after anything else, you will not be filled. That's why people get addicted to certain things, addicted to drugs and alcohol, social media, entertainment. Anything that stimulates you can bring addiction. The Lord is not seeking to addict you to him. He's seeking to commit you to him. He doesn't want addicted people. He wants people that love the Lord and are committed to his way. But the world is working on addictions. So, so what's the next social platform? I don't know. But can I put this pin right here? I don't care. Because I got my social platform. I use Facebook to put Bible studies. The last thing they need on Facebook is another picture of me. Thank you for not saying amen. <laughs> Who cares what you look like? Isn't it ridiculous? People spend their lives. I think it's the most self-centered altar of incense. Altar of self. <laughs> That's why there's a documentary coming up that I can't wait to watch. My wife and I programmed to record this, how people that are on Instagram say they wake up every morning trying to figure out ways to get you to become addicted to them on Instagram. They said their number one concern is to get followers and they show how they manipulate people to just follow them on Instagram. TikTok, 
These are social media people that they said, this is what we do. We get, we just, our job is just to get followers. This is how we manipulate society. And it's a group of uh, about three or four women, uh, about four or five women that are just going to talk about how they do that. You know, they get up in the morning, they put like, it's like 700 pounds of makeup on, you know, and they look, you know, perfect, and they get eyebrows. You know, those eyebrows, those eyelashes that look like garage door openers. It's so long you can't even put your glasses on. And they're nipping and tucking this and tucking and nipping that and getting perfect. And they just come out with this pose. And <sighs> somebody ought to. I won't say it. Fall in love with the things that will transform your life into a life of Christ. Because whether you know it or not, it is true. By beholding, we become changed. God's intention is for us to behold holy things, godly things, righteous things. Don't make yourself an altar. As my good friend uh, uh, um, Oswald Chambers said, and he's, he's my good friend, but he doesn't know it. <laughs> Never use God's gifts to rob God of his glory. Don't ever make it about you. That's why the world is preparing for the success. We are experiencing a society just like it was in the days of Noah. This is not a new world, Bob. God knows exactly what's happening. As it was in Noah's day, the injuries today are similar. How does the Bible describe the days of Noah? Look at Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 38. The world then is like the world today. For as in the days, Matthew 24, verses 38 and 39... For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, what else? Marrying and giving in marriages until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. I may have said this, but it fits right here. There's a song that I've sung when I was in the Heritage Singers. You know, oh, the marketplace is empty. No more traffic in the streets. All the builders' tools are silent. No more time to harvest wheat. When I look that up theologically, that is theologically incorrect. Because in the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving to marriage, buying and selling. They were locked in their daily rounds of financial transactions until the flood came and just... And they didn't even know until the flood came and took them all away. They were involved in their daily rounds of life and probation was closed. So the marketplace was not empty. There was traffic in the streets. The builder's tools were not silent. But if you notice what's happened over just the last three years, signs of the approaching end have accelerated. Just between 2019 and the present, for example, the global pandemic claiming thousands of lives, whether you believe it to be true or not is not the point. Then we looked at the uncontrollable forces of nature. Just about two weeks ago on the news, on ABC News, local ABC News as a matter of fact, they said that California is experiencing the worst, worst drought in 1,200 years. They have beautiful blue skies every day. We just came back from California. Jorge and I and my wife were there and Randy were there to survey a site for evangelism. The skies are beautifully blue, but the locals are saying, we want rain. We need rain. We need water. 
And it's affecting not only California, but it's affecting uh, um, places like Utah and Arizona, all those places that rely on the waters that come from these great aqueducts. And then we find the political instability, this global uncertainty that is, is accelerating since 2019. And then we find more than ever before, more than ever before, world leaders are flexing, flexing their nuclear might. Have you noticed that? Everybody trying out a new nuclear missile. Lord have mercy. Please keep those nukes in the silos. There's no such thing as limited nuclear exchange. It just does not exist. And I know I've been giving you a lot of quotations, but I can't help to do that because they fit so perfectly into where we are today. Here's another one. Testimonies, volume 9, page 11. 9-11. Here it is. The days in which we live are solemn and, solemn and important. Isn't that right? The spirit, why is it happening the way it is? The spirit of God is gradually but surely being withdrawn from the earth. That's why men are becoming more and more evil. Plagues and judgments are already falling upon the despisers of the grace of God. It's already happening. The calamities by land and sea, the unsettled state of society, the alarms of war are portentous. They forecast approaching events of the greatest magnitude. The agencies of evil are combining their forces and consolidating. They are strengthening for the last great crisis. And we all know this. Great changes are soon to take place in our world. And the final movements together will be what? Rapid ones. That's why I so much embrace the admonition of Paul to that young man, Timothy. You see, brethren, while the world is looking for answers, this is where the servants of God, those that are called that understand what's happening, young men and young women, that's why I, I, I appreciate so much that 3ABN is actively involved in making sure all day long the gospel is going out around the world. Can you say amen? Because this is what the world needs, a ministry that they can turn to and see that this is not just another ministry, but they're doing what God, through the Apostle Paul, has encouraged that young man Timothy to do. Here it is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 to 4. Here's what he said. Preach the word. Say that with me, my brethren. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. That means when they want to hear it, and when they don't want to hear it, still preach it. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. But look at the prediction. For the time will come. And I will say, has come, when they will not endure sound doctrine. Even in the Adventist church today, all kinds of theories are rising up, trying to see how, strength, how strong your faith is. If you are not anchored on a thus saith the Lord, you will be shaken out. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, their own desires, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. People today are believing things that don't even make sense. I've spoken to some brethren in our churches, and I'm sometimes shocked when I see things advertised on social media or hear something that is being 
uh, run through the theological pipeline amongst our own pastors, and we, we get together and discuss what's confronting our churches, and some of us would say, are you serious? That's happening at your church? That's happening at my church? Really? That happening at, really? We are shocked to see what's happening on the theological front. But today we have arrived where God has said we always will arrive. Popular preaching is preferred above solemn sermons. Messages intended by God to wake up a slumbering society have been substituted by messages that increase our desire for material gain. You can't, no matter how much you get, you can't take it with you. On the other side of that, I want more material gain, but I want decreased spirituality. But in the midst of the crumbling world that we have, heaven is calling us back to, I like this phrase, scriptural urgency. Scriptural urgency. When people ask, I had a long discussion yesterday with a, a lady, I would be very vague about the discussion, but she called me for social reasons. I don't know her. She works professionally, as, I'll be very vague about that. But we talked for a long period of time as Angie and I were coming back from, from Marion, uh, from our chores of the day, and she got into the conversation. I said, um, she said she goes to church on Sunday. I said, well, I go on Saturday. And the question came up, well, actually, why? I said, well, here's the reason why. And then we continued discussing and it became more and more interesting. And I said, well, if you look up our church, well, if you, look, well, if you put my name on, you'll find out more about what I'm telling you. She said, I already looked you up. <laughs> okay. She's a professional. And, um, and I said, well, our, our philosophy is very simple. If it's not in the Bible... We don't, we don't accept it. If it's in the Bible, and we got to the Sabbath, she said, well, I, you know, I go on Sunday. I said, well, that makes it easy. You can come to church on Sabbath. She goes on Sunday. Well, that's easy. You can come on Sabbath. Well, I think I'll do that. And I said, many people get us mixed up with Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons. We are neither of the two, but we are Latter-day Saints, and we are witnesses for Jehovah. <laughs> So she said, I think I'll come out. And I gave her the church's website address, Mike, so she could, maybe she's watching this morning. Praise God if you are. Because our job, my brothers and sisters, is to get somebody thirsty for Jesus. All these things that are happening in the world, they're going to happen. They're going to come and go. They're going to be big events and small events. These all must take place. But we must get people to the point where they are not hesitant about the fact that these are indicators of the soon return of Jesus. But there are some people that will say, well, I know what's happening, but I don't really believe it. And the apostle Peter chimes and joins the words of the apostle Paul by reminding us that you're living in a more challenging age than even we did. Because in the last days, even though people see these things occurring, they are going to doubt it. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 to 7. The apostle Peter, the converted Peter says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, and just like Paul said to Timothy, walking according to their own lust. See it is? It's controlled by what they want and what they don't want. And what are they going to say? Saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were, from the beginning of creation, I'll say like the young kids, nah, 
<laughs> nah, not so. It goes on. For this they willfully forget that the word of God, by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed, what's the next word? Perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. I try my best to warn my family. I say, guys, you don't know what's coming. You don't know what's coming. And sometimes I sound like a, sometimes I sound like I work for the fire department. But brethren, I do work for the fire department. Matter of fact, when people ask me what do I do, I say, well, I'm a pastor, but I sell life insurance and fire insurance. You'll get that on Tuesday. <laughs> Noah preached for 120 years. You see, you don't have to wait for people to think that what you believe is logical. There's something illogical about the gospel. It says to preach that Jesus is coming again when people don't even know his name. There's something about the gospel that doesn't seem to harmonize with ordinary logic, that the world is going to be destroyed by fire when people have never seen that magnitude of a conflagration ever before. But I believe God's word. Amen. And if God's word said it, I believe it. The world that lived in Noah's day is the world that lives in our day. They just don't believe it. They ate and drank. They married. They did all the things that they did back then, but the flood came, and before you know it, they were all gone. The flood just swept them away. They were gone. They didn't understand that these were happening. But notice what else the Bible says is going to happen. God is going to allow the resurgence of war to remind us again. Look at Matthew 24, verses 6 and 7. He says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Is that right? See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and what else? COVID-19. And all of its, all of its variants. And earthquakes in various places. You see, God is calling on the faithful to tell the world of the certainty of two things, of coming destruction and of a delivering Savior. They need to know about Christ. He is not desiring to include any of them in the destruction that's coming. But I need, I need now to, to take a left turn and go to one of my Old Testament prophets. Can I do that? Because what I like about some of the Old Testament prophets, I mean, they, they paint pictures that will bring, that will turn your red blood cells white and your white blood cells red. They lay it out. Look at Zephaniah talking about the storm that's brewing unlike anything that humanity has ever witnessed. Zephaniah 1 verse 14 and 16. Look at these words. He says, the great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation. 
a day of darkness and what else? Gloominess. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. And I just chose to stop there. But if you continue reading it, Zephaniah the prophet paints a picture that is, that's not only alarming, but it is sobering. It is like standing a person before the judgment bar in court and saying to him, you are now going to serve 27 life sentences. And if you get out, you're going back in. It's a terror that we cannot imagine. That's why this is the hour that we need to look beyond the noise of war to the promises of God. This is the time to ignore man's threats and embrace God's truth. Because a great reset is coming. Today I must make on my own personal testimony, my hope is not built on political conjecture or frail humanity, but on the reliable, unerring, living word of God. So let me begin to wind up. What does that mean? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> the reason that I trust God's word is more than 2,000 years ago, Dan, two angels had a conversation with some stagnant apostles. This is not the hour to be stagnant. This is the hour to find the most creative ways to put a track in somebody's hand, put some Bible studies in somebody's hand, put something in somebody's hand that will begin to stimulate in them the idea that this is not always going to be this way. You know, we thought that the crisis was when Macy's shut down in, in Carbondale. We thought that was a crisis. And then J.C. Penney shut down. That was a real crisis. And then Best Buy shut down. That was serious. What's going to be worse than that? When they said they were shutting down Best Buy as a, as a gadgetarian, I had a hard time to realize I had to travel 70-something miles to go to Best Buy, way down to Paducah, Kentucky. And I said, why are they going to do that to me? But it was not about me. When the angels spoke to these complacent apostles more than 2,000 years ago, the words they said to them apply to us today. Amen. Acts chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. What do they say? And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, this is so beautiful, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Brethren, that statement ignited the apostles on a trajectory that the world had never seen. And in 34 short years, the entire world heard about the name Jesus. But something has happened today. And so this message to the gazing apostles is the message today to the gazing church. Why stand gazing 
waiting for Jesus to come. I hear people say, I can't wait for Jesus to come. And I'm, I'm tempted to ask them, so what are you doing to hasten the coming of Christ? You can't just wait for Jesus to come. You got to do something to hasten the coming of Christ. And the message is the chaos that is caused by sin will not last forever. Someday we will live as God intended in a peaceful, loving, and happy society. Death and sorrow will be banished forever. And best of all, are you ready for it? Each one of us can have a part in God's amazing new world. Every one of us. So let's talk about God's great reset. Oh, I love it when God talks about his reset. That's why the book of Revelation is, is one of my favorite books because it always has the phrase, and I, John, saw. Amen. Verses 1 to 3 of Revelation chapter 21. How beautiful God begins to give us a glimpse into his great reset. This is what God's vision is for his people. And I saw, he said, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had what? Passed away. Passed away. And also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city. Oh, Lord, looking forward to that day. The holy city. Not New York City. Not L.A. Amen. Not Detroit. Not Miami. The holy city. Come on, somebody say amen. The holy city. No more garbage, no more crime, no more violence. The holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. But he kept on speaking. In verse 3 of Revelation 21, And I heard a loud voice, this is important news from heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. My brothers and sisters, on that day, there's going to be a dinner, and I already got my plate set. <laughs> Amen. What a day of rejoicing that is going to be. When we will see God and God will see us. When we will be able to stand. I read a story a number of years ago where a couple had been invited to the White House, and when they got there, you know, everything is so meticulous. Everything is so meticulous. All the guests are, are, are vetted before they arrive, and all the places are set. Their names are there. And this very important a couple of dignitaries arrived, husband and wife, and they walked into the room where the dinner was, and they realized that their names were not anywhere on the table. Hey, brother, I got some good news. Our names are on the table. The Bible told me that. So our job is to say to people, you've been invited, are you going to come? You've been invited, are you going to come? Oh, I love Matt, Revelation 19, verse 9. The Bible says, then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Yes, we have been called. The question is, do you want to go? The question is, do you want to go? Do you want to sit down with God? By the merits of Christ, not by my works. By the merits of Jesus, one day we will be able to sit at heaven's table of grace. Can you say amen? You see, the great reset will eradicate sorrow and sin permanently. Revelation 21, verse 4 and 5. Here it is, the great reset, God's great 
reset. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. Why? For the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Thank God for the faithfulness of his word. God's great reset. You see, God's people today should be going through a spiritual paradigm shift in their lives. What do I mean by that? Ask me. Yes, okay, I'll answer the question. Here it is. What do you mean? I'll tell you. We should be examining our hearts in such a way that we are saying, Father, search me. Say it together with me. Search me. Don't let anything in me keep me out of the kingdom. What is there about your life that you want to hold on to so badly that is more valuable and of more importance than being in the presence of our eternal God? What could there be? What could there be in your inventory that has elevated yourself to the place of importance that has put God to the third and fourth shelf below? What is there? We should be going through a spiritual paradigm shift in our own lives where we read the Bible because we must until we read it because we want to. Because some people have not developed Bible reading habits. Read it because you must. And one day you'll read it because you have to. And let me tell you, like those of us, when we plan for our Sabbath school taping, we enjoy our Sabbath school taping. What we discovered at our Sabbath school taping is even though the lesson writer, the constructor of the lessons, put as much as he or she can or they can we discover there's so much more in Scripture that only when you dive into the Bible do you realize there is no drama like drama in the Bible. Come on, my Sabbath school panel, can I get an amen? There is no drama like drama. There's stuff in the Bible that'll make you blush. You want crime, it's in there. You want violence, it's in there. Whatever you want. Men try to get as close as they can but God reveals the true condition of humanity so that he can show us by his grace that one day we can reflect the true nature of divinity. One day we can be like God and sit at that table. And sit at that table. So God's got a great reset. How many of you want to be a part of that reset? So let me tell you what God's reset is. Three very quick points. And I'm going to invite the pianist to come up. I'm going to invite the praise team to come up. You see, God's great reset, like man's great reset, has three main categories that are focused on in the paradigm of God's divinity. See, God's kingdom will have an unshakable economy. Not based on trading and buying and selling, but based on... on the stable, unshakable, I'm trying to find words. God's economy will reveal to us what we have never seen. I have no doubt that God has building material. Because even those that don't know or declare God says that there are billions of galaxies. So God must have some building material. He spake and it was done. He commanded 
and it's steadfast. In God's unshakable economy, everybody is going to be satisfied. Secondly, God's government will be resilient, it will be equitable. And it will be sustainable because the Bible says, in him we live and move and have our being. We're going to get to heaven. And when we walk through, I've visioned this sometimes. I, I see myself walking up to the pearly gates. I see myself walking through the gates, looking to the left and to the right. Donna, I see myself, see myself in flight. Sometimes I imagine myself in flight. Do you know one day, my brethren, we're going to be in flight. And, 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 and we're, we're going to be in flight. And we're going to see, we're going to hear our, our King, Jesus, call out through space and time, lift up your heads, O ye gates. And be lifted up the everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. And it will echo, 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 echo through the limitless space. And, and then the message will come back, who is the King of glory? And Jesus will say, the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And behind him in his trail of righteousness, the millions that have lived for Christ, the faithful that have stood for Jesus, they're going to be people from Russia that are going to be there and from Ukraine and from Japan and from China and from Rwanda. They're going to be people from Brazil that are going to be there and Australia and New Guinea and, and Tahiti and the Cook Islands. They're going to be people from Samoa that's going to be there, from Guam. They're going to be all there, every size, every nationality, the, lighted, the lightest Europeans to the darkest Africans. They can all be there by the grace of God. Can you say amen? A resilient, equitable, sustainable economy. And in God's sinless universe, there will be no artificial intelligence because we're all going to be like Jesus. <laughs> to God be the glory. To God be the glory. That's why my last quotation is so important to me. I remember trying to read this on Sab School panel a few years ago. I got choked up as I was reading it. Great Controversy, 1888 edition, page 678. I can't wait till this phrase becomes our reality. The Great Controversy is ended. Sin and sinners are no more. The entire universe is clean. One pulse of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation. From him who created all flow life and light and gladness throughout the realms of illimitable space. From the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things animate and inanimate in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy declare that together God is love. It's time to keep our eyes on the light ahead of us. I got to tell you a story as I close. A few weeks ago, my wife and I took a special journey down to Greenville, Tennessee 
You know the sad reality, we lost Don Yost. And we went there to deliver his vehicle to his sister. And so we had to rent a car to come back. And on the way back home, Shelly Quinn called us when we were in Nashville. We stopped to eat. She said, I'm just calling you. I'm calling my children. I just want to make sure that you're going to get home before the storm hits. I said, what storm? She said, they're going to be high winds, heavy rain, possibly tornadic weather. As long as you get home before the storm hits, you'll be okay. I said, we're, we're, we got a few more hours ahead of us. We've got a lot of time behind us. And I said, honey, I'm, I'm good. We're going to eat. I'll take it from Nashville. I'll, I'll take us home. We got home that evening. We were so tired after the 499 miles of driving. We said, let's leave early in the morning because we had to turn right around and go to the airport the next morning to go to California where I was performing a baptism. So that morning meant she had to drive the car we rented, and I had to drive one of our vehicles. I said, I'll drive the truck. And as soon as we pulled out from our driveway, the rains came. Now, you may have been fast asleep, but I want to tell you, it's been many years since I saw rain like that. It came down in buckets. 2 a.m., we left that house. That rain, we stopped on Angel Lane just to make sure everything was adjusted in the car for Angie. And as soon as we hit 34 on our way to Benton, you could hardly see. It was coming down like, like the heavens were angry. The rain blowing. The vehicle, mine, because I was higher up, was kind of moving to the left and right. And Angie said, you know, when you're driving behind a truck and you're in a car, it's just giving you an extra car wash. So for, for you could hardly see. I said, just, just keep your eyes on my lights. Finally made it to Benton, took a little breather. Then we got on 57. At a time of the night where all the trucks were out. And the rain decided to intensify. And it was coming down in buckets. Well, Every time we go to the airport, my wife and I are in the same vehicle. But we had this rented car to take back. So I said, honey, you, you drive the car. It's, it's brand new, 2022. It's a Passat. It's front-wheel drive. It's in great condition. I, I trust it. I'll drive the older truck. You follow me. But just keep your eyes on my lights. Trailer trucks were just... Trailer trucks were making it challenging for me to even see the road. And the lines on 57 are hard to see on a non-rainy day. And to turn on the headlights would make the rain even worse. There were times I couldn't see the lines, but I, but I, I called my wife on her phone. And I had my headsets on. I said, honey, let's pray. Father, carry us through this weather. She said, John, John, this is, I'm scared. I said, honey, I'd love to be in that car with you. Just imagine I'm sitting with you in that car, but keep your eyes on my lights. 
And there were times I said, now we got to pass this truck, because if not, there are three more coming down on us. we got to get ahead of this big, big truck to get some relief. So here we are passing, and I know that she's being bathed, and I could hear the sounds of fear. I said, honey, keep your eyes on the lights. For the first time in my married life, I was worried about my wife. But I couldn't do it for her. She had to do it herself. You know, brother, there's a storm ahead of us that God wants to do it for us. But the only thing he's saying to us is keep your eyes on the lights. We got to 57. We got to Mount Vernon after knuckle-crunching intensity. My shoulders were so tense that I had to shake my arms out to touch the steering wheels again. And my wife says, my hands are hurting me. I'm holding this. We got to Mount Vernon only to get some street lights, and then we hit, hit again on 64, torrential rains. I want to tell you, you know we made it, but I want to tell you we didn't make it easily. I know that when I get to heaven, the first conversation my angel and I are going to have is, do you remember 57? <laughs> I was in that car with your wife. I was holding that. We didn't slip once. We didn't hydroplane. We didn't lose traction. We didn't almost hit anything. Let me tell you something, my brothers and sisters. This is the hour where the rains of trial and persecution and tests are going to come down in sheets. But I'm telling you today, keep your eyes on the lights. Because God's got our, God's got us. We are in his hands. He will carry us through. The very next day when we got to California, as, as we were sitting on the plane, I put our head on my shoulder and said, honey, I'm so glad you're here because I thought I might have lost you last night. She said, I trusted you, and your voice kept me calm. And we talked all the way from Thompsonville to the St. Louis airport. We never got off the phone. She said, just hearing your voice kept me calm. And I did what you told me. I kept my eyes on the lights. She said, I want to tell you, John, there are moments I couldn't see anything but your lights. But you said to me, you will keep the vehicle straight, and I followed your lights. My brothers and sisters, God's got a light. He wants us to keep following. Can you say amen? amen. See, I want us to stand and sing this closing song because we're going to go through some rain. We're going to go through some storms. But when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we will sing and shout the victory. Let's sing this together. Come on. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing His mercy and His grace in the mansions bright and blessed. He'll prepare for us a place when we all get to While we walk the pilgrim pathway, clouds will overspread the sky. That's right. 
So what else? Let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of Him in glory will the toils of life repay. How? When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Let us then be sure and faithful. Onward to the prize before us. Soon his beauty will behold. Soon the pearly gates will open. We shall tread the streets of gold. When we all, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. That will be when we all see Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory. Amen, somebody. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. There's some storms coming, my brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes on the light. God will carry us through. Father, thank you for reminding us. It's going to get tough before we get to our destination. There are going to be nights when we cannot see our way, but we're going to keep our eyes on the light. There are going to be torrential rains of sadness and difficulty and challenges in our hearts. There are going to be sins that challenge us and things in our attitudes that cause us to shudder and to faint in our hearts. But Lord Jesus, thank you for reminding us, keep our eyes on the light. When sin is done and heartache has been permanently fired. But there's no more death and no more sadness, no more suffering when disease is no longer a concern. And we're sitting at that great welcome table. What a day of rejoicing that's going to be. And you told us the former things will not be remembered and they will not come to mind. So Father, help us to truly examine our hearts and lives that that in this day and age of uncertainty and instability of every kind, we could remember your word. We could trust your word. We know the wars will come, but when they're all done, we will see you face to face. Take us from this place, Lord. May this message stay in our hearts and minds. May it remind us that men are but men, but you are God. And we need not be concerned 
to the point of fear. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and in Russia. We pray for our leaders to have cool hearts. We pray for somehow diplomacy to triumph over what could be. But whatever the case, Father, we're going to keep our eyes on the lights. Send us from this place, but never from thy presence. For we ask it all in the worthy and holy name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen.